Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. To his story, which is what he said uh, a year ago when it first came out that this Trump Tower meeting had happened, that uh, Don Jr. and Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort back in 2016 uh, ha had met with a Russian lawyer claiming that she had dirt on Hillary Clinton. At the time uh, last year when it first came out, the president said he didn't know about it till afterwards. In fact, I think he said he didn't know about it until the meeting, until the public learned about it, which always struck me as a little bit hard to believe the idea that uh, that this idea, uh, a, a Kremlin connected lawyer would come to Trump Tower in the middle of the campaign claiming to have dirt and nobody would have told Donald Trump about it. But in any case, that was the story. Now. Uh, Michael Cohen, the president's former lawyer and fixer, is saying no. In fact, as a lot of people suspected back when the meeting happened in May of 2015 or 2016, rather, that uh, Trump was told about it. Uh, and now supposedly Cohen is going to is willing to tell that to the special prosecutor, special counsel. The, the significance, I don't know, because it seems to me, you know, the worst that you could say, assuming that Cohen is telling the truth now, is that Donald Trump lied back in 2017, but so what? I mean, it's not admirable. You would hope he wouldn't, but it's not breaking the law, lying to the media. He certainly wouldn't be the first president, if he did, who had done so. And, and even the meeting itself, while it certainly doesn't seem praiseworthy that uh, American political candidates or their team would be meeting with a Russian lawyer, uh, to try to get dirt on Hillary Clinton that was being offered mm -hmm. to them, that goes a long way. That's, it falls a long way from any hint of collusion. Um, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, happy Monday to you. So glad to be back with you after a week off. It's been really, it, now we're whirlwind time because we're going, heading into the launch next week. We're just going to uh, get picked up by the big parent American Family Radio is going to carry first hour of the program. And we're so excited about it. Like, we're just, everybody is so excited. So I'm excited. Uh, and I'm really, I'm loving the emails from people who are reaching out and saying, hey, I just heard, good for you, yay, 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 all of that. Um, it's it's truly, it's going to be an honor to get to do this. So, so excited about that. Uh, that starts on Monday, same time, same bat channel. So if you've been listening through Urban Family Talk, keep doing that. Um, we'll just be additionally on some extra stations, quite a few actually, and we're really excited to get to do that. So welcome to the program. This hour we're going to be speaking with Jim Antle. The, uh, he's from the Washington Examiner, and I'm excited to get to chat with him. Um, and then you just heard coming into the top there, you got Chris Wallace, and he's kind of like, so what? Like, you know, this guy, Cohen, he was the attorney for Donald Trump, and he recorded not just Donald Trump, but hundreds of conversations. Now, if you're like, are you with me? Do, does that make you uncomfortable? Do you feel like, so it's one thing to be on the phone with your attorney and they've got someone in the room who's taking notes on the conversation. It's one thing to be on the phone with your attorney and they say, we need to record this because you know, you, we need to form questions for a deposition or something like that. It's one thing to be in the room with your attorney and they have a recorder on the table or a camera and we're going to cut this on because we need this for the record because we have a lot of work to do on yada. That's one thing. It's another thing for you to be on the phone with your attorney and you're in a single party consent state, no big, 
And they don't even have the common courtesy of saying, by the way, I recorded this call. This is a single party consent state. Let's talk again on Tuesday. So you can kind of be aware. So Donald Trump finds out he's been on these recordings when the recordings become the possession of, you know, the FBI and the Mueller investigation. Now, thank God we have innocent until proven guilty because everything that is taken or, uh, you know, uh, confiscated, whatever, as evidence, it has to be turned over in the discovery process from the prosecution to the defense. So now the president has all of these tapes. But it turns out he only has tapes in which he was mentioned. And there's some detail on that that I felt, uh, you know, it's a good interview um, that we're going to be listening to later. It's Rudy Giuliani talking about the Trump Mueller team negotiations. Um, he talked about the federal, the feds having 180 recordings of Michael Cohen's. There's actually more than 200, but a very, very limited number of them have anything to do with Donald Trump directly, meaning he's on the recording. So we'll get into that in the third segment of this hour. But right now, all eyes are kind of focused on Cohen because they feel like, you know, half the country is like, oh, that's it. Donald Trump's goose is cooked, you know. But remember, there is no collusion or obstruction of justice when you're the president of the United States when it pertains to firing an employee. There just isn't. So it's not about that. But it could be about some other things. Now, the question that Chris Wallace discusses here in this next clip, it has to do with whether or not Donald Trump knew in advance about this payment to this you know, woman who he'd had this consensual affair with. And then afterwards, during the course of the campaign, Cohen says, well, let's pay her, you know, to keep her quiet because we don't want this, you know, this, this is, this is detrimental to your business interests as well as everything else that you have going on. So let's pay this off. Now, obviously I'll need to state for those in the audience who take things one bite at a time and can't, you know, run and chew gum at the same time. I disagree strongly with this continual slow drip of finding out that the president has had yet another affair. But I am not shocked by that. You know why? Because I watched him on TV and because he's been married three times and because the first two marriages ended because of extramarital affairs and because I have access to the Internet. So I'm not surprised by these. I do think it's one of those things where so if he were younger, this would be look at, you know, he's probably still engaging in these things as it is now. He probably barely has enough energy just to do the job that he has to do, which is president of the United States. And I, I seriously doubt if there are going to be more of these allegations that are recent as in current day. But it is a devastating series of events for his family and for Melania Trump, who has to put up with all of this. Um, and we don't know the dynamic of their marriage or what she knew beforehand or if he's just kind of telling her, OK, now there's a new story and here's what I did. We don't know what's going on there. And really, honestly, I don't want to know the stuff that goes on in between two people in their marriage. I just don't want to know. But what I do care about is that this has to do with specifically the Mueller investigation into Russian meddling. What does this have to do with that? That's my question. So what we'll do is we'll listen to this last cut from Chris Wallace about the evidence that Trump knew in advance, which he's, he feels like there isn't any. And then we'll go to the phones. It's number five. Yeah, I would say calling somebody a pathological liar is a pretty strong way of questioning their credibility. There's also a story, and again, we don't know if it's true, 
that Cohen doesn't have any proof, doesn't have any evidence, doesn't have a tape so it, it, uh, of the fact that supposedly in 2016, Donald Trump knew about this and Cohen was a witness to Donald Trump being told of it. So if that's true, then it just becomes Cohen's word against Donald Trump's. And again, that wouldn't put Donald Trump. Look, in the end, uh, this is all messy and it's unpleasant. But re really matters is, is there any evidence that Cohen can present that puts Donald Trump in any legal jeopardy? And his claiming without any proof that Donald Trump uh, knew in advance of a meeting that wasn't against the law would seem to me to have no legal ramifications, legal significance at all in terms of the Mueller investigation. So, you know, um, more nothing burgers. And I hate how this is cracking out. I hate how these marital infidelities and indiscretions are having this negative impact on what the president can do because just last hour, I was talking about how wonderful the tax cuts were and how that makes such a huge difference to families. And I really care about that. I'm in a family myself. And at this stage in our family, it is easier for us to do things, but we're still operating under a budget just like every other family out there. And anytime we're able to keep more of our own disposable income, it is a positive and we are excited about it. But what takes away from us being able to celebrate that and other accomplishments that the president has made is these continual, you know, rehashing of things that happened years ago that he did that I don't agree with. So I'm putting that out there for you. I'm being real here. I don't like it. I don't like having to continually hear about these extramarital affairs. I think it's bad. It bodes poorly on his personal character. And it's horrible for his marriage and for his son, who's 12 years old. His family is experiencing negative ramifications for his poor decisions from back then. So, you know, I kind of have to be, I, it's no kind of, I have to be an adult about this because he's not the first president who's ever had extramarital affairs. You know, sadly, probably not the last. It is something that we have to deal with. But he's still, in my opinion, a million times better than a Hillary Clinton presidency where we would literally be talking about gun confiscation and, and all kinds of wars all over the world that we were getting involved in because she was a neocon. So let's go to the phones. Um, here we have a caller here. Oh, Gail in Texas. Thank you for calling in to Stacey on the right. Yes. Um, I, I just want to state that, you know, I, I think this investigation is just a farce. I, I do not understand how this has anything to do with Russian collusion. The only thing I can see is the corrupt leadership of our Justice Department has really gotten out of control. And I think they're after the president, and they'll do anything to try to take destroy this president. Because I truly believe that a lot of uh, these people the global special interests will do anything to stop Donald Trump because Donald Trump is trying to bring back American jobs, American companies. He is fighting with the globalists. The globalists will do anything to take him down. And I am just amazed at how they are not held accountable. No one. They have, they have to answer to no one. And I am just 
sickened by what I see, the Stalin-like tactics to go against people that support Donald Trump. I have never seen such violence, such corruption, corruption, and I am outraged. In America, we have to be frightened to think that we have a government that will use these tactics on us if they deem it necessary. I'll tell you, I never thought something like this could happen in America. Well, Gail, I, thank you for calling the show. And I, I have to say, you know, it's it's serious business. Um, I was actually reading some emails about the whole deep state. Um, and thank you for calling the show. I, I was reading some emails about the deep state and someone that I know and respect and disagree with a lot, but also agree with a lot, posited that while we have entrenched Democrats and we have career appointees, that the way the government is set up and the way people argue with each other and have all of these factions within offices, I mean, who hasn't worked in an office and seen the way people can kind of get all tribal in, within the office and this is my work wife or this is my work husband, which I totally disagree with that. Like, I hate it when I hear people say, that's my work wife. That is like not cool. Okay, that's not cool. Um, but I, I, I don't know that it's operating in the way that we could say it's an organized entity where they maybe have a back channel where they're communicating. But there is a concerted effort, as Gail pointed out, to delegitimize this presidency and to eliminate the efficacy of a Trump administration. And it has been successful in some ways because every minute we spend talking about Donald Trump's personal life or any of that stuff is time that is off of his agenda. And it's not so much like we can talk about whatever we want to on this program. It's not impacting the president's agenda. But in the White House, when they're having to put out fires, when they're having to rush around and, and take care of these types of things, when they have to have someone constantly surrogate and the media, as, as Rudy Giuliani is doing as a president's attorney, talking about these issues, it's time that's not spent talking about the successes of this administration. Reductions in our deficit. Reductions in our trade deficits. New deals with trading partners. But who wants to talk about that when we can talk about some old, you know, extramarital affair or some old garbage that Mueller is dredging up? It's a witch hunt. And we got to put a stop to it. So when we get back, we'll have Jim Antle. He's a politics editor for the Washington Examiner. He'll be with us right here on Stacy on the Right. Thanks for being here. Stay right there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We'll have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. 
You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Who is the leader of the political left today? Many say it is Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer or House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. But if you ask who is the new leader of the political left, many would probably say it is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is the 28-year-old self-proclaimed socialist who recently won a Democratic primary in New York's 14th District in the Bronx. She has become the darling of political progressives and thus has attracted lots of media attention. And all that attention has shown how little political experience she has and how much she doesn't know about history, politics, and economics. She is full of passion and progressive talking points, but usually short on facts and historical perspective. Earlier this month, she was on the PBS program Firing Line. Although it was a broad overview of her positions on politics, capitalism, and education, the widely circulated clip came when she referred to Israel's occupation of Palestine. When asked to explain her comment further, you see a cringe-worthy attempt to backtrack that ended with an admission that she was not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. When it comes to the economy, she has a theory. The reason unemployment is low is because everyone has two jobs. By the way, she isn't the only politician saying this. The left-leaning PolitiFact rated this claim not just false, but pants on fire. As a self-proclaimed socialist, she takes extreme positions on nearly every issue. She is for free college, federal jobs guarantee, single-payer health care, housing as a human right, and mobilizing against climate change. She's also for gun control and abolishing ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. More than anyone, she illustrates the future direction of the political left. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, here on Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. Excited to be with you. Uh, happy Monday to you. I am back, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, from vacation. Yes. It was fantastic. And it was such a blessing to get to go and spend some time away from politics and all of that. And um, very minimal exposure. I just was catching up on the news on the way back. And there's a lot of weird, weird news out there, stuff that um, I'm probably not going to cover on a family program like this one. Uh, but some of it I was just we, so sometimes we get into these discussions as a family and the teenagers are, whew, man, so lightning fast, wicked sharp, and they take no prisoners on these issues. And um, so I, I want to get into a few of them in the next segment, but it's it's. One thing I encourage parents to do is don't don't treat your kids like um, they're not aware of what the news is. Sometimes when I bring up a news topic with our kids, uh, one of them in particular will pipe up. Oh, yeah, I read I read about that. Or my favorite is, yeah, I watched the video by Louder with Crowder on that. Now, y'all know I know Stephen Crowder, right? So it's so weird to listen to my kids who are like totally into him and think he's amazing um, talking about his perspective on some of these issues, but don't assume your kids are unaware. They're not only aware, they, they read news, they process it, 
And if you don't talk to them about it, you never get to understand their perspective on the news and what they think about what they're reading. It's fun to talk to them and listen to them expound on their ideas and kind of share. So um, anyway, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Jim Antle. He's the politics editor for the Washington Examiner. Great news site, great newspaper. Uh, Fantastic to have you join in, Jim. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Stacey. So let's talk about this. Russia troubles for Trump are a win for the Warhawks. How so? Well, I think when you look at when President Trump came in, he campaigned on the idea that the United States was going to get less involved militarily in the Middle East, that they were going to try to forge closer relationships with uh, competitive powers with enemies of the United States, with rogue governments that the United States has been in conflict with. And so he thought that through his negotiating skills, he would be able to perhaps make peace with Vladimir Putin, perhaps make peace with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. And I think it gets a little trickier to do that, especially with Russia, if you have this cloud of the Russia investigation hanging over your head. So every negative development in that area really undercuts Trump's ability uh, to, to negotiate things and to even be seen as somebody who wants to be a dealmaker over there. And so it empowers some of his critics, both in the Democratic Party and within his own party, who don't really want to see uh, foreign policy changes in that direction. And and so I can totally agree with that. Um, so how do we, how do we get past that? Because one thing I don't want to see is in, an increase in the tensions between America and Russia. Um, you know, you know how it is, Jim, we have some problems that you just acknowledge it's a problem and you kind of have to wait and see on it because it's not something you can address at the time. And I feel like the annexation of Crimea falls into that, that category. The time to address it was when they first annexed it before they built a seaport. Now that they have a seaport, there's nothing that can be done. So demonizing Donald Trump for Crimea or for him kind of being tentative towards Putin is ridiculous. You have to acknowledge that their relationship is just beginning with Donald Trump being the president and Putin being the president. This is a new relationship that they need to kind of pick their way through. I think that's right. And I think you have to prioritize things. So, you know, the United States isn't going to accept the annexation of Crimea. They're not going to acknowledge it as something that is legitimate, and they're going to continue to criticize it. But our options in terms of policy for reversing that are pretty small, and at the moment they may even be non-existent. So then you have to ask yourself, what other things are you trying to accomplish when dealing with a nuclear-armed foreign power uh, when there are so many other issues of, of conflict and also of mutual interest uh, that are, are really coming to a head right now as opposed to things that happened in even the recent past. So you know, do, do you want to hinder negotiations regarding Syria? Do you want to uh, complicate some of the things involving NATO expansion? Do you want to uh, complicate things regarding the Iran nuclear deal? Do you want to have some of these negotiations on, on some troublesome areas between Washington and Moscow continue to move forward, or do you want to look backwards? And I think that that's been a real problem for Trump. I think Trump has sometimes hurt himself by not being willing to acknowledge uh, some of Russia's interference in, in the election, some of their attempts to sway public opinion, which, you know, because he doesn't he feels that his opponents are using that to discredit his election, to delegitimize him as president of the United States. And frankly, he's right that a number of them are using it in that way. Uh, but, you know, 
you have to also be able to balance your credibility on those questions with U.S. voters with your own obligations as President of the United States, which means moving forward with Russia on some of these tricky issues. Yeah, so... How does the president adequately explain what you just you just summed that up in like 60 seconds that we need sure. President Trump to explain that what you just explained to the American people? Because there are plenty of people out there who are not per se, you know, named Democrats. You know, they're not specifically Democrats. They're not specifically Republicans. They don't have all of the, you know, kind of nuances of our foreign policy down. They just know what they see on the major news outlets when they take their 10 minute bite of news at night at six o'clock or whatever. They hear Russia collusion, Donald Trump softballing around and palling around with, with Putin. And the president needs to, in one of his addresses, which he's actually been using those very effectively, or in one of his Twitter tirades, he needs to explain to people that he's really picking his way through a very difficult situation at nuclear armed power, people, Democrats don't even acknowledge that anymore. They just act like Putin's right. some bad neighbor from down the street that they could any time just, you know, call the cops and have him arrested. He, that's not this guy. And we need the president to explain to the American people who this guy really is and what his aims are in having a good relationship with him. I've seen those videos, but I, we need wider dissemination of that information for people to understand. I definitely think that's true, and I think people also have to understand the, the, the true nature of the Russian threat as it exists today. So the, Russia remains a nuclear-armed power, so and they remain uh, people who are you know a hostile government that's trying to take advantage of, of our interests in lots of different places around the globe. Um, but they're not the Soviet Union anymore. They're, they're much less powerful than they were during the Cold War, and they pose a much different threat. That's why the types of things that they're trying to do and specializing in are cyber attacks and online crimes and, and you know, getting involved in social media and hacking emails. And those things are all bad, but the Soviet Union you know, had, had missiles in Cuba, uh, was positioned to wipe us off the map, and was actively engaging in, in the types of uh, activities that would let them do so. Russia is much poorer than the old Soviet Union. Russia is much weaker than the old Soviet Union. But, of course, it's obviously it's still dangerous. So you have to deal with that crisis in a very different way uh, than you would deal with the Soviet Union. And frankly, even in dealing with the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War, American presidents picked their battles with Moscow. They didn't fight them over everything. They kept a look at the big picture of the fact that the Soviets were an enemy, but they did not you know, get involved in threatening to go to war over minor acts of, of Soviet expansion at a time when Soviets were much more capable of expanding around the globe than Putin's Russia is today. And so let's, and I've talked about this on the air. I mean, you know what, Jim, one of my favorite subjects is how, so you had Soviet Russia, which had a policy. It was their policy that abortion on demand paid for by the government was their thing. And so at one point, when you talk about tensions being high in Cuba and all of that, America and Russia were on par with each other when it came to population size. Now, they obviously dwarf us in landmass, but population right. size we were similar well now due to largely due to immigration but also we had at, at up until just recently a pretty robust birth rate we have well over 300 million people and they have 149 million and it's directly attributable to the fact that their culture doesn't even like we love babies in america still not to right. the degree that we used to but we still do 
they don't love babies. Like they don't have a culture that elevates women, moms, uh, babies. You know, they don't have they don't have that going on. Toys. They don't. They, they just don't have that. So they population right. size wise, they cannot compete with us. And then on top of that, they don't have anything to export but oil. And they spend most of their disposable income on making their military look like it's the same size as ours. But they actually spend, I think it was $70 billion is what I saw. And we spend $780 billion, something like that. Right, so, right. I mean, they're nowhere near us on anything except that their leader is pretty robust in his uh, international presence. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, they're an aging, dying society. They are poor. Uh, They have never really grown into a first world economy. Uh, And their attempts to be militarily powerful are actually parasitical to to their economy at this point. So if Putin really wanted to continue to expand beyond Crimea, if he wanted to get into Eastern Europe, uh, he'd go broke. I mean, the country would go broke. They're just, they don't have the wherewithal to do all of these things. So I think in addition to being clear-eyed about the fact that the Russian government has different values than the United States government, you also have to have a little bit of confidence in your system versus theirs. And I think also even during the Cold War, some of the bigger mistakes that we made was that we were a little more afraid of the Soviets' sustainability of their system than we really ought to have been if we believed in the merits and the strength of our system. Mm. And and so, you know, that's that's a complicated dance you've just described there, Jim. This mm-hmm. is not a situation where we can just say, we hate them and they're like nothing to us because they still have the nukes. But by the same token, when we act like they're our overarching primary concern and that nothing else matters, it really is blowing it out of proportion in, in certain ways, which makes them more powerful. When people talk about Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un and that legitimizing him, I don't think that's what happened at all. I don't think Kim Jong-un is suddenly somebody people want to have dinner with or have over to their country to talk about trade because they met. But with Putin, a continued focus by American media on his so-called ability to influence our elections and elect a president really gives him much more power than he's ever had or will have. I think that's right. I think in the perception war, he has won by getting people to perceive him as a much more powerful and influential figure within our own country than he really is. I mean, during the the Cold War, the Soviet Union had loyalists and subversives in in college campuses all across the country. They, at various points, uh, infiltrated our government. There's nothing comparable uh, in terms of ideological true believers with Putin that you can find in the United States. Clearly, uh, they have the ability to commit a lot of cyber crimes, and clearly, depending on what they choose to hack into, that can have some kind of an impact. And obviously, they stole some emails from important American political figures. But that's certainly a very different kind of threat, and it requires a a very different kind of response than when people compare it to 9-11 or Crystal Notch or or the the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, those were historical incidences of great significance. I mean, this is like, not those are not similar at all Those are... John Podesta. they weren't John Podesta's emails they were, they were pretty uh, significant events yes yeah 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 so um, okay so I just want to really quickly um, last sure. couple of minutes I'd, I'd love to get your take on 
I know you don't have a crystal ball, neither do I, but we can mm-hmm. look at different things that have happened in the past and different statements made by candidates. And we can kind of look at in a direction what things would be doing if that person had instead been the one in charge. And I really feel like we dodged this enormous, not a bullet, but like a huge mother of all bomb sized missile by not having Hillary Clinton negotiating or meeting with Putin, et cetera, et cetera, because she was a neocon, a war hawk, someone who never saw a war she didn't like and really had an incendiary kind of negative outlook towards Putin that was really just adversarial. What name a few things you think might have been in the realm of possibility had it been Hillary Clinton winning uh, that night a couple of years ago? Well, I think, number one, our involvement in Syria would probably be a lot deeper and not limited to intervening against ISIS and intervening against periodic chemical weapons attacks by the Assad regime. I think we would be actively pursuing regime change, and we would probably have a lot more troops over there. Um, Yeah, I think that uh, she would indeed be much more confrontational toward Russia. I think that she would have come into office feeling that Vladimir Putin had tried to steal the election from her. So that would not have made for a very good relationship between the two of them, and I think she would have continued confrontation. I doubt you'd have the talks with North Korea. Um, Certainly the Supreme Court picture would look a lot different. The federal judiciary in general would look a lot different. Um, you know, maybe some of the retirements would have been different, too. Uh, but, you know, you would have had somebody probably to the left of Merrick Garland uh, in Neil Gorsuch's seat, uh, the old Antonin Scalia seat. Uh, you know, uh, you would have seen liberal judges being nominated instead of conservative ones. The tax cut wouldn't have happened. Perhaps a tax increase would have. Uh, so, you know, I think there would have been a number of things that, that would have been pretty radically different uh, had, had we seen a different election outcome. Yeah. And you know what? I, I can't disagree with any of those, Jim. And I, I, I would only add that the media would be cheerleading her at every turn and the results would be negative, but they would still be telling Americans, yay, look, we have the first woman president and that's all that matters. She wears pants to work, but she's a girl, you know, Left that kind of thing. Material. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate your time. Jim Antle, politics editor for The Washington Examiner. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. All right. Talk to you again soon. So, We will be back with more. We'll be coming in hot with Rudy Giuliani talking about the Trump-Mueller team negotiations, about when they're going to meet with President Trump and interview him. We'll be right back. Just a minute with Stacey Washington. The crisis at our southern border has stymied all reasoning and thoughtful consideration of what is driving the influx of people irresponsibly dragging tiny children thousands of miles to break our border laws. Most of those arriving here illegally are claiming credible fear that they will suffer violence or reprisals in their home country. The problem with that is that just 5% of all claims made are found to meet our standards for asylum. 
This doesn't matter because those who are caught at the border are released into America and 95% of them never show for their asylum hearing. The result is a market increase in people competing for low-wage work, which disenfranchises our low-income citizens and is burdening our welfare system. Central American migrants claiming asylum have surged 800% over numbers recorded in 2012. Violence in Central America has declined by 40%. It's time that we made it clear we are closed to illegal entry into our country. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. I'm Will Addison, Director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for his service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Physicians keep learning after medical school in order to better save lives. Shouldn't Christian leaders keep learning to better save souls? Hi, I'm Dr. John Nyhoff, President of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and online around the world. Are you a Christian leader who thinks it's important to keep learning? WBS online weekend and evening classes allow graduate students to become better equipped to make disciples in a constantly changing world. For more information, visit wbs.edu. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. Some grocery store workers in Daphne, Alabama make the Dean's List for helping a little girl find her stuffed animal. Three-year-old Madison had been shopping with her mom at a Publix grocery store when they arrived home and realized her beloved toy bunny was missing. She was heartbroken. So mom returned to the store to ask if anyone had found the stuffed rabbit. The store said no one had returned the rabbit. So she went home and took to social media asking if anyone had seen Bunny. The post was shared hundreds of times until it was spotted by Mike Gayhart, the manager of Publix. So he decided to check surveillance video for the rabbit. And lo and behold, he spotted Bunny in a shopping cart that was then thrown into the trash, then to a dumpster and a compactor that was taken to a landfill. Mike got his employees to go down with him to the landfill and sort through all of the trash in search of Bunny. And they found it. Thank you all for getting Bunny, back to Madison. You all made the Dean's List. Janice Dean, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. We've kind of been distracted on all kinds of things, starting with uh, Peter Strzok and the Horowitz Report, and now uh, Michael Cohen uh, really surprising all of us. And Is that what's taping. holding up your negotiations? Well, it keeps us away from it, and, and, and also the, uh, the, the, the special counsel is kind of tied up, although quietly in the Manafort, getting ready for the Manafort trial. So we have negotiations going on with them. We have an outstanding offer to them. Uh, they haven't responded in about a week to 10 days. I, I, I don't hold that against them. I think they got a lot going on like we do. What does that offer uh, look like? Well, I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you what the offer looks like, except there is a, uh, a sort of area of questioning and a group of restrictions on it that, that you know, we could live with. Uh, I think I'd have to reanalyze that in light of the new facts, but I, I don't think that's going to change it very much. This is narrow to the Russia probe and not obstruction of justice or how, how narrow? It, it relates basically to the to the to the Russia uh, collusion uh, thing, which we think there's no evidence of the president doing anything wrong. So we don't really have much of a problem with it. With the obstruction thing, it's more a question of we don't see the legal basis for a president obstructing by merely taking an action in firing somebody that he had every right to fire and about 10 good reasons to fire. Uh, so we don't just acknowledge sort of the basis for that. 
But, you know, we, we might consider a few questions in that area also. But at this point, it's best left to us and them to do that quietly. There's enough going on with the Southern District thing. Welcome back to the program, everybody. I Head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. Um, we're going to have some fantastic things for you over there. So please uh, subscribe if you like getting updates once a week from different blog posts, things like that. Um, it's not often. So you'll enjoy getting that. I got to say, he makes some good points there, Rudy Giuliani, about uh, the legality of firing an employee. Uh, so if if it turns out that Mueller wants to propose that firing James Comey is some kind of obstruction of justice, even though everything that James Comey did in his work product is available to the Miller investigation, that James Comey himself has already been interviewed multiple times, that all of the memos that were actually classified documents were made public, you know, through a leak that James Comey actually used to get a special counsel appointed. I don't see how it could possibly be collusion. Or obstruction of justice. It just can't. So I, it's interesting that Rudy Giuliani has to kind of prove that uh, or, or make that case to explain it. I'm glad that he did. But if it is obstruction of justice to fire an employee, that means no president can ever fire anybody. How's that work? The executive has to be able to stand up their own government through the hiring and firing of individuals that they want to work for them. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's, it's fascinating that he said that, but that wasn't all he had. This is interesting because he's talking about, and this is later in the interview, um, and he's on with Ms. Brennan on television on one of the Sunday shows, and, and they're talking. And they've got these 183 recordings of Michael Cohen, and a, a number of them have been forwarded over through the discovery process to the Trump team. And so they've gotten a chance to listen to them. And, and you have to be a, you know... Imagine being a fly on the wall in that room with Donald Trump. You know, he's, he's got to be shocked and really dismayed that someone that he paid for legal advice and considered to be an, an, a member of his inner circle is not only now out saying these ridiculous things about him, but that he recorded their conversations. What a breach of trust and dishonest uh, kind of behavior to, for him to engage in. So here he is. It's, it's Rudy Giuliani again, and he's talking about these recordings. It's number seven. Well, let me see if I can make it about as clear as possible. Uh, we know of something like 183 unique uh, conversations on tape. Uh, one of those is with the President of the United States. That's the three-minute one involving, uh, involving the uh, McDougal payment, let's call AMI McDougal payment. There are 12 others, maybe 11 or 12 others, out of the 183 in which the president is discussed in, at any length by Cohen, mostly with reporters, all uh, clearly corroborating what the president has said in detail on many of those tweets. In other words, that he didn't know about the payments to either one when they happened, that he only found out later, that Cohen made them not for the campaign. He didn't, didn't like the campaign. He says very derogatory things about the campaign. He said, I only made it because I personally love the president and Melania. Uh, and that's why I made the payments, which takes it right out of the campaign contribution uh, uh, arsenal. So these are, these are tapes I want you to read. I want you to hear them. Uh, I didn't think I'd be able to get them out publicly. And somehow he and his lawyer have this crazy idea. Just throw it all out there. I think they also don't realize it's going to hurt them with the prosecutors. Now, when I was a prosecutor, I don't want some guy giving out all the evidence mm -hmm. to the press. So, you know, that's 
that stands on its own, what you just heard there. And, and I think it's important uh, for us to kind of have an understanding to, to remember that there is no obstruction of justice in simply firing someone. Now, firing him and trying to pay him not to talk or trying to destroy documents or, you know, eliminating work product of James Comey and, you know, after firing him, that would be something actionable. But this is just a simple matter of someone who didn't like working with the president in his own terms, just didn't like Donald Trump, didn't feel comfortable around him, didn't want to meet with him alone. So he would let go. And he wasn't trustworthy. The OIG report says that James Comey was insubordinate and stepped outside of the bounds of his, uh, you know, his his work arena when he was making those announcements about who was going to be investigated, who wasn't. He he wasn't a good employee. He may have been. He does have a record of service to the FBI that has been up up until this point, you know, blemish free. But in the end, when a boss he didn't like came on the scene, he wasn't able to handle it. And therefore needed to be let go. I mean, what's the big deal about that? Other than he's not he's not Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump's not Hillary Clinton. And so we got to melt down and we got to, you know, we got to have our nappies changed because we can't get it. We can't we can't handle it. Yeah, not OK. Um, so now I want to talk to you a little bit about. Oh, my goodness. So. There's this whole Loyola University, Maryland School of Education. They're offering this master's degree designed to teach future K through 12 teachers how to incorporate social justice into their curricula. And I'll put a link to the story on the streams and stuff so you can see it for yourself. I, I want to talk to you just a, just a little bit because school's starting back up. School's cranking up uh, here in a couple of weeks. Some, some states will be having their kids go back to school. By September, all the kids will be back in school. And if your kids are in public school, you're probably um, you've, you've read a lot of stories. You may know your kids' teachers really well. I know when our kids were in public school, um, when they were in grade school, so elementary, I knew their teachers really well. I mean, you know, gift giving, you know, I would see them at cocktail parties at other people's houses. The teachers would be there. I mean, it was it was not unusual for me to give birthday gifts to these teachers and things like that. We knew them. And they lived in the same community that we did, so we would bump into them at the grocery store, which would prompt the kids who were small to say, oh, what are you doing at the grocery store? Why aren't you in your classroom? And then I would say, why would they still be in the classroom after school? Because that's where you live, right? The kids thought they lived in the classroom. Uh, that's when they were really little, obviously. But that the kind of interaction we had with them was very, very full. Like it was, it was a real relationship. And so I could email or call and get an immediate answer to questions that I had. And it was, you know, admittedly eight years ago when I, you know, this, this is not right now, last year when the kids were in grammar school, they, they've been out of grammar school for a couple of years. So I know how difficult this can be because you're absorbing a lot of information from the news. You're getting all this stuff kind of thrown at you and you're feeling as if you're kind of overwhelmed. You don't know if you should believe it. And there's a certain thing that can kind of take over. I know it happened to me a couple of times. You read a story and you're like, that can't be happening at my kid's school. And then a parent will, you know how it is with news. A parent will say, yeah, one of the teachers mentioned that to me. Or one of the other moms thinks this is a good idea and she wants to discuss it at the next parent meeting. And you're like, oh, no, no. But you don't want to be that mom, the one who's always political and always yelling and, you know, getting upset and losing her stuffing over stuff. And, but, you, but you don't want this going on at your kid's school. 
I have to stress to you 110% that you don't have to be that mom who's always worked up and upset about everything, but you have to be that mom who puts a stop to stuff when it's just somebody's idea. If you wait until they've spent money and done some uh, research and training and they've gone to a couple of conferences and they've been uh, you know, indoctrinated into believing it, you're going to have a really hard time stopping it. And this is the problem that we're seeing now. The reason why we have the little kids learning about how to put a condom on a banana is because moms who heard about this going on were uncomfortable and didn't want to say anything. Now the kids are learning how to put condoms on a banana. Kids in grade school are learning about homosexual sex. Not that it exists only, but that it exists and here's how to do it. And if you feel like doing it, there's nothing wrong with it. You're just an animal. Sexual urges are normal in animals. Just do it. If this is grossing you out or you feel like I'm going a little too far, you're not being a grown-up. This is what they're teaching to the small kids in districts where the parents haven't risen up and said, not my kid, not my tax dollars, no. And that's what really needs to be said here. So you're going back into the school year, and when you get that you know, first email, you probably already have the first email for the school year. They've sent you something saying this is the, you know, at grammar school, there's always an ice cream social or some kind of opportunity for kids to eat those little frozen uh, Kool-Aid things and run around in a park somewhere and the parents stand around and chat and drink lemonade. And that's, that's the school year starting. It's at that point where you have an opportunity to be on what is locally known in a lot of school districts as the diversity committee. If you get onto the diversity committee, that's the hotbed of all of these radical ideas getting spread out into the rest of the building. And it's just a group of parents and some teachers who they're woke and they want to spread this stuff around. You got to get on there with your crew of common sense moms because the thing that your tax dollars are paying them to do is to teach your kids about math and reading and history and science and civics or social studies. That's why they're there. They are not there to teach your kids about homosexual sex, heterosexual sex, sex with animals, any of that stuff. That is not their job. Now, they, they will tell you it's my job because a lot of parents are ignorant and they'll never teach their kids that stuff. Then address it with those specific kids on an individual basis. But it doesn't have to be a school-wide program where every kid has put a condom on a banana. Please tell me that, that if that's going on in your kid's school, not only do you want to know about it, but please tell me you would want to do something about that. The worst thing that can happen to any public school is that a bunch of parents take their kids out at the same time because that influences their funding. But there's also the negative impact on the school's reputation when they make the news and parents are fighting and arguing about stuff that's going on in the district. They don't like that negative publicity. Administrators hate it. Parents hate it. Elected officials hate it. That's what they don't want. This isn't about you threatening to make bad news. It's about you being informed and being in there, working with these teachers and expressing your desire to see all of the kids reading at or above grade level, doing math at or above grade level, and that their test scores would reflect that which means you need every minute of that instructional day. Because if your kid's at school for eight hours, they probably have four hours of instructional time. That's why homeschooling is so easy, by the way. The reason why homeschoolers have it so easy is because most parents are under the impression that you have to be teaching the kid eight hours a day because that's how long they're at school. But if you count the time between them moving from the library to the computer lab to the homeroom, recess, 
lunch, snack time, and then all those extra classes like character education, the time the psychologist comes in and talks to them about their feelings and everything else, you're down to the mandated amount of time that has to be devoted to instruction, which you can find on your kids, on your state's K through 12 education website. The State Department of Education will tell you how many hours per day your kid has to have instructional time, how many Days per year are instructional time. Here in Missouri, I believe it's 188 contact days. And then they'll tell you how many hours per year or days per year have to be devoted to continuing education for teachers, which are those days where the teachers are at school, but your kids aren't. They're called half days or, uh, you know, whatever they call them. Your kid has to be at home with you or with a babysitter because the the teachers are at school getting uh, continuing education. Once you know those things, homeschooling becomes appears much less daunting. And I'm saying that as someone who my motto is I wasn't called to homeschool. I've been called to do a lot of things, but I've never felt called to homeschool until last year when our senior told us that she was going to be homeschooled. She went to the learning center. She already had it under control. But the point is that this is a completely doable enterprise. If you need four hours of instructional time with your kids per day, there's a way to get that done. If you feel like the whole sexual revolution thing for kids has progressed to a level that you can't stop at your kids K through 12 school. So why am I talking about this with you today? Because school's about to start and maybe you should have made that choice earlier in the school year, but it's never too late. And the reason it's never too late is because these are your kids. And once they've bitten out of that poisonous apple of sexual indoctrination, where they believe that sex is between their ears and not between their legs and all that garbage you gotta then deprogram that who wants to do that you don't want your kids sullied by these horrible disgusting ideas so take charge get in there get to know those teachers demand that your instructional time for your kids is full of instruction on reading and math and history and science or take the kids out Pray about it. God will give you the resources. They're already out there so you can do the education yourself through homeschooling. All right, that's the day. I'll be back with you tomorrow on Tuesday with more Stacey on the right. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.